Ted Bohorquez here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. We didn't have an episode last week because, you know, it was family time. It was uh, Thanksgiving, and frankly, we had a short week, so we didn't really talk a whole lot about a whole lot. But a lot of stuff happened, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, get us kicked off this week with Plot Summary of what we discussed on the Morning News Watch. A big thing was Joe Biden, of course, because, hey, I think Steve Scott might have a little crush on the guy. He brings him up constantly. I'm just joking. But in any case, Joe Biden was a huge topic this week, specifically in regards to running for president in 2024. Um, Now, Biden said that him and his family, he said this this week, that him and his family have had no conversations about him running in 2024 and that ultimately he'll be making his decision by early next year of whether or not he's going to be running for 2024. Now, there were a couple of developments with this. Um, As we all know, the, the numbers are in about President Joe Biden. And the numbers are very interesting, specifically from Democrats. The majority of Democrats do not want Biden to run again in 2024, citing a number of reasons which we'll get into. But this week, there was an interesting shift because that was sort of the reoccurring story is that Democrats aren't happy with him. America isn't happy with Biden. That was sort of the story. And yet this week, the New York Times, they're trying to kind of shift that thought process. The New York Times published a piece that argued Joe Biden might be the Democrats' best bet. Yeah. They argued that even though the polls say a majority of Democrats would prefer a different candidate for their party in 2024, polls are not always correct, which is a very interesting take. I never even thought to weasel around that way, but of course they did because they're the Democrats. But they're saying, look, the polls said that there would be a red wave. All indication on polls said a massive red wave. And yet the red wave didn't come. The polls said that Donald Trump didn't have a chance. And yet Donald Trump became president. So when the polls say Joe Biden is not the preferred candidate, some Democrats, and in this case, the New York Times are arguing, well, who's to say they're correct this time around? I got to say, I can't even argue with them because the polls have been, frankly, very disappointing recently. And whatever their mathematics that they do with those pollsters, they need to figure out what's going on because they need to readjust their game. Clearly, they're all over the place. So, look, I got to give it to them. I got to give it to Biden. I got to give it to New York Times. Yeah, the polls might be wrong. Now, I don't think Biden is America's best bet. Heck, I don't even think Biden's the Democrats' best bet. But the argument's there. The polls could be wrong. Now, personally, I say let's let Biden run again. Um, I think we should encourage Joe Biden to run again because, frankly, I think it'd be an easy win for the Republicans. Um, So I say, hey, let's let him do it. Now, one reason I think that is because if a lot of people forgot this, but back in 2020, Joe Biden basically ran his presidential campaign in 2020 from his basement. Um, That was a huge point of conversation during that presidential race that a lot of people have forgotten about. And that was a big point of criticism from Biden was he made very little public appearances. He made very little debate appearances. He made very few press statements. He just ran his, you know, campaign from his basement, tweeting and and making written press statements, not actually making them himself. So, frankly, anyone could have been making those press statements. Who knows? Well, the reason supposedly that he had ran his campaign that way was because of covid. He used covid as an excuse. He said that, well, actually, I can't, um, you know, campaign. I can't be out on the trail. I can't be making speeches because of covid. That was his excuse. Well, if you remember uh, a little more than a month ago now, Joe Biden announced that covid was over. He himself said covid is over. So he can't really use covid as an excuse anymore for 2024. He's going to have to campaign. He is going to have to run for president, not somebody else, not some proxy campaign. It's going to have to be him. 
And I think that if he is going to be campaigning, that's going to be an easy pickup for Republicans because, boy, howdy, that's going to be a rough campaign. That's going to be brutal. But, of course, he has all of his buddies in big tech, so I'm sure they'll, you know, cut out all of his embarrassing moments and highlight all of his good stuff. So, actually, he might be just fine. Now, with this idea of Joe Biden running in 2024, there are becoming more and more problems. At first, the problems were primarily his age. That was a big problem. You know, Joe Biden was born in 1942. 1942. Dude, I mean, that's ridiculous. I was born in 1998. This guy was born in 1942. How is this guy supposed to represent my generation? That is ridiculous. Now, (laughs) something that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch was there's actually some absolute chad put went ahead and put together a list of items that Joe Biden is literally older than. And I'm mean, here. Here they are, because this is, by the way, as funny as this is, this is the problem. This highlights the problem. Joe Biden, born in 1942. He's older than Pop-Tarts. That upset Steve. He's older than credit cards. He's older than cable television. Joe Biden is older than Costco. And and this is the best one. Joe Biden is older than wheeled luggage. Somebody had to conceive the idea of putting wheels on a suitcase, and they did that at a time after Joe Biden was born. Joe Biden was born, and then years and years later, somebody had the idea to put wheels on suitcases. That's how old this man is. So yeah, that is kind of a goofy list and a little silly, but it does highlight the problem in the sense that, I mean, that's like saying, you know, he's older than sliced bread. Betty White was literally older than sliced bread. Joe Biden? Not that old. Sliced bread was invented before he was born. But Joe Biden is older than wheeled luggage. (laughs) Joe Biden is older than wheels on suitcases in the airport. Heck, there probably wasn't even, you know, that many airports when uh, when he was born. So, yeah, it highlights the problem. There's a huge age issue that continues to be an issue in the polls, which, of course, yes, there is room to be wrong there. But it is continuing to be an issue in the media. Now, here's another big issue, another bombshell that came out this week is the resurgence of a sexual assault allegation levied against Joe Biden. During the 2020 election, a woman named Tara Reeds, uh, who was a Biden staffer back in the early 90s, she worked under, you know, she worked as a staff in, in the 90s. She came out during the 2020 election, and she said that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. She said that Biden cornered her while they were working together in a professional manner, He physically cornered her and sexually assaulted her. Now, when she came out and said that, and nobody took it seriously, or rather, let me rephrase that, no Democrat took it seriously. As a matter of fact, Hakeem Jeffries said back in 2020, said back during the 2020 presidential campaign that he believed Reid's claims. He believed that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. And then he said that he would support Joe Biden anyway. He said, listen, lady, I believe you. I believe that this man's a monster and that he sexually assaulted you, but I don't care. I support Joe Biden. I want him to lead this country. Let that sink in for a second. I believe that you were sexually assaulted, but I don't care. That's what this man said. And by the way, that very Hakeem Jeffries, yeah, he took over Nancy Pelosi's position. He's now Speaker of the House. So mm -hmm, that's what we're working with on the Democrat side. You want to talk about not being able to reach common ground. This man said, I believe you were sexually assaulted. I don't care. And now he's Speaker of the House. That should be upsetting to anybody. And these allegations have been resurfacing all surrounding this potential 2024 run. 
So is he going to run again? Who knows? But day by day, the thought of him running is becoming more and more obscene, more and more upsetting, and more and more of, frankly, just a bad idea. But again, we're not going to know his official decision until early next year, supposedly. That's when he gave. That's his timeline. Speaking of presidential polls, this week a very interesting shift, not just in the Democratic Party, but a very interesting shift in the Republican Party as well. And that is the what is looking like will be a heated battle between Trump and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he's a Republican. He is becoming very quickly a fan favorite for presidential nomination. Now, DeSantis has not uh, announced that he's running for president. In fact, he hasn't even said whether or not he's thought about it. People have asked him, are you considering president? And he continually dodges the question. But despite the fact that he hasn't even officially thrown his hat in the ring, a lot of Republican supporters are really leaning towards DeSantis. As a matter of fact, key Republican strategists that were previously all in on Trump, we're talking grade A Trumpster Republican strategists, they're now back in DeSantis over Trump. And this was a very strange shift, especially because, once again, DeSantis hasn't even announced yet. You know, I mean, he hasn't even said he's interested. And yet all these people are saying that they support him over Trump. Some strategists argue that DeSantis offer Republicans the best shot to take the White House. And one key veteran Republican strategist, John Thomas, he's actually already pledged $50 million to Ron DeSantis to help get Ron as the GOP nomination over Donald Trump. DeSantis has not even announced yet. He has not announced that he's running. He has not announced that he's interested in running. And we have key veteran Republican strategists, people that know what they're doing, people that know what's up, already pledging $50 million to Ron. I mean, what? What is going on? Thomas said that he was shocked. He was shocked at how many Trump supporters agreed that Ron may be the best Republican bet for the White House over Trump. Um, And those come from polls. And as we all know, maybe we should be a little bit wary of polls. Maybe we should not take that as gospel or as truth, because frankly, they could be wrong. This whole thing might be blown out of proportion. The pollsters might have it completely wrong. We don't know. But they might have it correct, too. Now, Thomas and uh, other key Republican strategists and big and big wig Republican donors, they all got together this week and they wanted to express this this message out loud to the Republican base and to voters in general. They said it's important that the Republican Party and that the conservative movement get the message out that it, it is okay to vote for someone else, but still like Donald Trump. And that's what they said. They said, look, Trump did a lot of good for this country. Trump did a lot of good for the conservative movement. Trump did a lot of good for the Republican Party. You can have deep admiration and respect for Trump. And you can also vote for someone else. Let's look at, you know, the historical example I always love to give is Theodore Roosevelt. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that Theodore Roosevelt is a full-blown American hero. I mean, the man is in folklore. He's in American folklore. Now, nobody doubts Theodore Roosevelt was a boss. Everyone loved him. And when he was president, everyone loved him. But a little-known fact about Theodore Roosevelt is after his time, he tried to run for president again. And he didn't run in the Republican Party. He didn't run in the Democratic Party. He started his own party, the Bull Moose Party. And he got wiped. Well, you know, he didn't win. It wasn't even really all that close. You can still love Theodore Roosevelt and still vote for someone else. There's no disrespect for Theodore Roosevelt, and even he said that. He said, the people have spoken. I served the people, and they were, they were mighty proud of what I did for them. 
But my time is up. It's over. They want to take it a different direction than I do. And the people have spoken. And I think that we should have that same mentality for Trump. You can still have a deep respect and admiration for him and vote for someone else. Just like Theodore Roosevelt with the Bull Moose Party. But ultimately, we'll see how this goes. Now, this wasn't really on accident. This whole, um, you know, some people would consider it turning on Trump. Some people would say they like Trump, but they like winning more. You know, some people say they're for the movement and not for the politician. They're for the idea, not for the man. Whatever you want to say it is. This didn't come out of nowhere. Um, There's a lot of Trump has had a lot of political setbacks recently, um, most of which are legal. Um, Now, as we know, Trump did announce that he is running for president in 2024. He's already made that announcement. And uh, he's now facing a huge new wave of legal problems. Trump is no stranger to legal problems. Frankly, he takes them on head on. It's one of the reasons we love Trump so much. But these are becoming pretty intense. Some people believe that Trump may have timed his presidential announcement to shield himself from legal issues. And, you know, if that's the case, it didn't work. Now, the strategy behind that, or at least the perceived strategy, is that if Trump announces he's running for 2024, and then after that, any political, rather, any legal issue that is levied against him after that announcement instantly becomes political. Because now you're no longer levying you're no longer levying lawsuits or legal issues against a man. You're levying them against a presidential candidate. This is now a political tool. And so some people think that that is why he announced his running so early. Because, look, there's a big mystery. Why is Trump? Why did Trump announce he's running for 2024 so early? Well, a couple of reasons. One, he's an outsider. That's why we loved him so darn much. He doesn't play by the rules. You know, he's not going to he's going to announce when he's good and ready to announce. He's not going to wait to the announcement season or when, you know, the party says it's okay or no. He says, you know what? I'm going to announce. He probably woke up two days before and was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in and call a press meeting. Let's get the show on the road. It's Trump. That's, That's what we love about him. That's the best part about him. Or he announced because he wanted to dodge these legal problems. Both things can be true. Now, a couple of those legal issues, uh, a couple of those legal issues include an investigation into his taxes, as well as defamation lawsuits and legal issues against not him personally, but against the Trump organization and his company. Those are some of the big things that uh, the courts are working out right now. Now, something we talked a lot about this week on the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG, and something I really want to bring up here is is specifically his tax issue. You know, the legal the legal uh, cases regarding his taxes. Now, Trump argued. That it is a dangerous precedent to set to have a president be forced to show his taxes and tax returns. Here's the deal. I think Trump is being honest about his taxes. I think Trump is being honest to the American people. I don't think he'd cheat the American people out. Why would he? He loves the American people. He's made that very clear. He's worked very hard for the American people. I don't think he's lying on his taxes. I don't think he's cheating on his taxes. So show the taxes. You know, this is a controversial thought, but, you know, hear me out. This is something we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch. President Obama, back when there was questions about whether or not Obama was born in the United States, there was calls for him to show us his birth certificate. And he said, no, I'm born in the United States. You don't need to see my birth certificate. And what did us Republicans say? We said, well, then prove it. Just show us the birth certificate. All you got to do is hold it up. Hold it up. That's it. And this whole problem will just, bam, disappear. Gone. Suddenly, all that media coverage and debate and controversy about his birth, gone instantly. All he's got to do is show the birth certificate. So why wouldn't he? Well, because he was hiding something. That's why. Because he didn't want us to see something.
I think Trump is being honest about his taxes. So just show us the taxes. Because guess what? All of the controversy gone. All of the legal and political weight on his shoulders dissipates. And not only is all of that extra poundage gone, but it also proves once and for all how pro-America Trump is. And then all of a sudden, never, ever again can the Democrats or the liberals say Trump is corrupt. Never can they make that claim because he was being honest about his taxes and he proved it, period. They no longer have any, any political say against him. They, In fact, they would essentially be forced to vote for him because they go, oh, I thought this guy was cheating us the whole time. Turns out he's not. And I believe he isn't. So just show us to him. It's that simple. So there's that angle of it. And that's a debate we had. Now, the other angle, the other question that Trump brought up is the precedent, the the issue of the precedent. Is it dangerous? Is that a dangerous precedent to set against presidents of the United States? Yeah, maybe. I, I think so. I think it is a dangerous precedent. But guess what? The thing about the blade of politics is that it's got two ends. That's how the saying goes, a double-edged sword. If the Democrats insist on pushing for the precedent of checking presidential taxes, guess what? That's a precedent that's set. Do you know whose taxes we're going to look at immediately after that? Joe Biden's, Bill Clinton's, Barack Obama's. Heck, let's check out Jimmy Carter's. I'd like to see Jimmy Carter's taxes. I would. The day that that precedent is set is the very day that Republicans should file to see the tax returns of the Clintons, of the Obamas, of all of them. You want to play that game? Let's do it. Fight fire with fire. And I guarantee that we are going to find severely more sketchy stuff about the Democrats than we will the Republicans. At which point, you can kind of think about this whole precedent tax thing less so as a hindrance against Republicans, more so as a tool for Republicans. Because I really believe the Democrats are way more corrupt than the Republicans. Sure. We'll take it on the chin. Sure, a couple politicians, you know, Republican politicians will go out. But guess what? They were cheating the American people anyway. Get them out of here. Let's get some good, pure American red in the Republican Party that really is the people first. I think that's something we can all agree on. A few Republicans might have been cheats. And that's going to be a really hard pill to swallow. That's going to really suck. We're going to lose three, maybe four of them. But I, I'm willing to bet that like half of the Democratic Party is going to go down in that. So let's look at it like a chess game. Okay, we lose a few Republican politicians. We took out half of their chess pieces gone because of the precedent that they, the Democrats, fought so hard to push. Why not? Sounds like a decent strategy. They want to set that precedent? Let's do it. And again, while we're at it, you know what? I don't even want to just see Bill Clinton's tax returns. Let's look into the whole Clinton Foundation. Let's go from start to finish, everything Clinton's touch. I, I, I want to investigate all that. Speaking of uh, Democratic corruption, um, Twitter. And uh, I know that's uh, <laughs> Twitter and Democratic corruption. What a strange uh, combination. But I assure you it's there. Now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, suddenly, hmm, suddenly a lot of Twitter executives see pretty quickly jumped ship. Now, at first, people thought it was because they were upset that Elon took over. But now people are realizing that they jumped ship because of Democratic crimes. Elon Musk has released what he is calling the Twitter files. Now, what the Twitter files are is all the internal documents and all the internal communication in regards to censoring Republicans, censoring conservatives. Now, of course, the big question is, was there collusion with the government and private companies such as Twitter and Facebook to censor American speech? Well, guess what? There was. 
Elon Musk released these Twitter files. And between high-level executives at Twitter, not just high-level executives, but the very ones in charge of making decisions on the Hunter Biden laptop story, COVID censorship, school board meeting censorship, the people that made those decisions in their email communication. There is, quote, the Biden team has requested this. The Biden administration has asked us to look into that. The White House inquired about this and that. To wit, the security team simply responded in email format with one word. Handled. Sounds pretty collusive to me. And now all these Twitter execs are seeking forgiveness, hoping we just forget about it. One Twitter executive that was uh, played a key role in censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story ahead of the 2020 presidential campaign finally admitted that it was a mistake and that they shouldn't have. Elon Musk said, quote, the obvious reality, as longtime users know, is that Twitter has failed in trust and safety for a very long time and has interfered in elections. Twitter 2.0 will be far more effective, transparent and even handed. End quote. Elon Musk, you are doing God's work. Thank you for that. And to the Twitter executives that were basically being puppeteered by Biden, who he himself is being puppeteered by God knows who. You know, most people thought it was Kamala, but yeah, she's not puppeteering anything. That woman can barely run her own press conference. Now, those that did admit that this was a mistake, that did admit they were wrong, that did admit that they made an egregious error, good for them. Thank you for admitting it. Now, just because you admit it, we're not going to just make up and play nice. No, you need to suffer the consequences. But thank you. Sincerely, thank you for admitting it because lying, continuing to lie and dragging this out even more is going to do nothing but divide America, upset the people, and be counterproductive. Let's move on. Let's build from here. The Bidens lied. The Biden team lied. And Big Brother, under the Biden administration, was working in tandem with big tech to censor American speech. Insanely illegal, immoral, and anti-American. But they admitted it. Done. Let's, great, let's pick up the pieces and move on. I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited that finally they are seeing the error in their ways. I'm very excited that we were proven correct. And I'm very excited for the future. Once again, they do need to suffer consequences. What those are, I don't know. That is something that hopefully the courts will work out. That is something that hopefully politicians will work out. But something needs to be done. And I'm glad that this big shroud, I'm glad that the armor that the big tech donned for so long finally has been chiseled down. And finally, we can battle this beast one-on-one like men. So that's pretty much the uh, plot summary uh-huh, of uh, what we talked about this week on the Morning News Watch in terms of political candidates. Um but there was uh, a couple of other political things going on in terms of laws that were fairly interesting. Um, the big one was in Oakland, California, the Bay Area. Shout out to the Golden State Democracy Dollars. That's what they're calling it now. Um, in Oakland, the citizens of the city of Oakland voted for the government to give all adult residents $100 in taxpayer money to give to a political candidate every two years. Now, this bill was approved with 74% approval rating, which, you know, hey, look, the people have spoken. But every single adult that is over the age of 18 years old, so whether you're there legally, illegally, citizen, not a citizen, if you're just in Oakland and you're over 18 years old, the city will give you $100 to, not to keep, it's $100 in credit to donate to a political candidate every two years. The way it's going to be working is basically they're going to be receiving four $25 vouchers And the candidates that those vouchers can be donated to 
are local political candidates running for either mayor or city council or school board position. It's all local stuff. So you can't take that money and donate it to, you know, your favorite candidate for U.S. senator or for president or whatever. Now, the most recent draft of that act explains that the initiative aims to curb corruption. That's sort of <laughs> that's, that's sort of the plan is by giving away taxpayer dollars, this will curb corruption. Um, and they're trying to encourage more public participation in local elections and help finance candidates not funded by donors with significant wealth. Additionally, the program will also prevent former city officials from becoming lobbyists. It, that's the claim anyway. Now, right off the bat, you know, my question is, well, how successful has this been? This sounds like an absolute train wreck. Well, Oakland, California is not the first city to do this. Seattle has had uh, a similar program in place for a while now. Of course they have. Of course it was Washington. Of course it was Seattle. No surprise there. The University of Washington reported that Seattle's program that mirrors this increased donations in local elections by 53% per race. And the number of contributors per race also increased by 350%. And to them, that is a mark of success, that the program is effective. Well, here's the deal. The number of contributors to local races increased 350%. Well, of course it did, because it's not their money. (laughs) I mean, mean, it is their money in the sense that it is taxpayer money and it belongs to the people, but it's not their money in the sense that the government gave it to them. They never had that $100. I'll donate $100 right now. If I'm donating your hundred dollars, I don't have I don't have a hundred dollars to donate. I just don't. And the Biden economy made sure to see that that was true. So, of course, contributors went up. They're donating found money. That's like saying uh, every person that finds a hundred dollars gets a hundred dollars more. What a huge success. No, that's just logic. Obviously, donations went up because there's a program like it doesn't make sense. And by the way, you know, look, it's an experiment. Let's try it out. I'm all for it. But this is going to be an expensive experiment. According to the draft measure, the program in Oakland, anyway, will cost a minimum of $700,000 in startup costs. We're not talking, that doesn't mean it's going to cost $700,000. It's going to cost $700,000 just to start, just to like get this idea going, not to implement it, but just to get it off the ground, $700,000. Then it's going to cost another $1,850,000 a year to administer the democracy dollars, nearly $2 million every year, just to make sure that the thing runs. And I mean, look, it's an interesting idea. And look, could it work? Yeah, maybe. I'm all for this uh, political experimentation. And by the way, I'm very glad that it's happening in cities like Oakland and Seattle. Thank God we're not doing it here. Uh, Let's let them step on the landmines and make the mistakes and run their city into the ground. And every now and then they'll come up with a pretty good idea. And those good ideas that they come up with, I think we should implement over here. Absolutely. Let them do all the the guinea pig and grunt work. Let's let them handle that. We'll just take the diamonds that come out of the rough. I think we should do that. Speaking of uh, questionable liberal laws, California, the very California of Oakland that just implemented that um, give away your tax dollar money to candidates, that California. They also passed a new law that certain men which commit statutory rape by sodomy do not have to register as a sex offender. Yeah. So if you're a man that committed statutory rape by sodomy in the state of California, you're not a sex offender. We just decided it's okay. So that's amazing to hear. There's a website called Megan's Law website where people can look up California sex offenders and get their information uh, to better protect themselves and their family. Well, the California DOJ has recently taken steps to prevent new data from being gathered and analyzed on that very website. 
Now, according to Megan's Law's website, there are 61,000 registered pedophiles all across the state of California. And also according to that website, you know, and the website tells them, you know, which district they live in, um, their age, their, you know, that's that sort of stuff. Just basic stuff to keep you safe. Well, it also says how long they've been in and out of prison, how long ago it was, when did the happening, you know, when did the sexual assault or in some cases rape happen, that sort of information. Well, according to the site, a lot of these sex offenders were released from prison very shortly after their conviction. We're, we're talking months later. We're talking an individual can rape or sexually assault someone and months after their conviction thrown back out onto the street. As a matter of fact, of the 61,000 registered pedophiles in California, the average pedophile served only two years and 10 months in jail in California for, again, pedophilia. Rape and sexual assault is awful, unforgivable. Rape and sexual assault of a child, of a literal kid, a little girl, a little boy being raped and sexually assaulted. And the perpetrator serves two years and 10 months in jail. I don't even know what to call that. Scary, heartbreaking, disappointing, awful. I mean, none of those words even really fit. None of those words are strong enough. So, yeah, that's the new law in California that um, not only not only do these pedophiles serve less than three years in prison on average for their heinous crimes. Now they don't even need to be on the sexual offender list. Not only do they not have to go to prison, but they can remain completely anonymous. The registry has fallen apart. They no longer need to register as sexual offenders. It's disappointing. And and again, disheartening. Oh, and by the way, in case you're confused at who these Californians are and who these people are, uh, these are the very same people that say that the state and the government knows what they should be teaching your kids in school. These are the same people that say they know what's best for kids and uh, where they're going to teach them what they want to teach them and that uh, sexualizing them and drag queen shows in schools, that's completely appropriate and should be encouraged. Those are the same people that just said pedophiles no longer need to register as sex offenders. Same people, just just in case you were confused. Meanwhile, over on the other side of the country in New York, something that uh, we discussed extensively this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG, New York City Mayor Eric Adams issued a new rule that allows the New York Police Department and Fire Department to involuntarily commit people who are going through a, quote, severe mental health crisis. Involuntary is the key word here. Now, this order will grant both city and state officials the ability to force anyone, anyone who appears to be struggling with mental health issues or who is unable to care for themselves into treatment. And this is the most important sentence here. Even if that individual does not pose a danger to the public. Now, there you go. The government can now detain and commit you if they decide that you're having a severe mental health crisis, even if you do not pose a danger to the public. Now, on the surface, yeah, maybe, you know, on the surface, some people might agree with this, might think it's a good idea. Let's be honest here. The homeless people in these liberal cities are insane. They're mad. They're madmen. And a lot of them are in the midst of a severe mental health crisis. Well, the government can't do anything because, you know, they're not hurting anyone. Well, this law allows them to clean up the streets. Finally, this law allows them to take these homeless people off the streets. The government says, oh, you're in a severe mental health case. We're going to go ahead and commit you. You're off the street. We're going to clean you up. Even if, you know, you don't pose a threat and involuntarily, these people can say, I don't want to go. Too bad you're going. Well, okay, good idea. You know, it cleans up the streets a little bit. But here's the problem is once the streets are clean, this rule is still going to exist. And who do you think they're going to be coming after next? Keep in mind, 
the decision makers in these areas are the people that say, if you don't agree that men can get pregnant, then you are an insane person. If you say men cannot get pregnant, then you are a danger. You are insane. And you must be having a severe mental health crisis. Boom, there it is. You don't pose a threat to the public and you don't want to be committed. But because they decided you're having a mental health crisis, because they decided that you saying you have questions about the vaccine, then you must be going through a mental health crisis because only a mental only a mental person, only someone that has a deep, dark depression would ever question the vaccine or would ever question whether, you know, biology. And that's the problem with these laws. Yes, they're good in the sense that finally we can clean up the streets. Those are helpful. But as I said before, everything is a double edged sword. And the other edge of this is pretty dangerous that they can just commit that they can just involuntarily commit people who they decide are in a, quote, severe mental health crisis, end quote, and who don't pose a, a danger to the public or an issue to the public in any way. They're the ones that get to decide who gets thrown into these nut houses, into these prisons, essentially. Dude, when you look at these rules, you have to look at not just the rules, but the people who made them and the people who made these rules. Want to clean up the streets? Maybe. I'm not really convinced of that based off of their historical policy setting. But they most certainly do want to clean up the streets from their political adversaries. And this is a perfect way of doing it. I think this is 1984, I think. This is really scary. It's really scary. It's really scary stuff. We're talking about Big Brother. We're talking about the very Big Brother that Orwell warned us of. All championed in by the left. Not a surprise. Speaking of which, something else we talked about this week in the Morning News Watch is uh, we are Elon Musk's Twitter. That was a huge topic this week. A lot of stuff happened this week. Now, CNN, who is basically just an arm of the Democrats, claimed that Elon Musk's Twitter does not promote freedom of speech. All it does is promote Russia. They argue that troll accounts will mass spread disinformation now that uh, Elon has is attempting to restore freedom of speech. And the left is so worried about a propaganda machine that works against the United States. That's their big fear. They don't want Russian misinformation, disinformation, Russian propaganda. They are terrified of all of that information sleeping into the United States and working against the U.S., which I don't understand why they're afraid of. Because the only people that hate the United States more than the Russians are the political left. The single most successful propaganda machine working against the United States in this country is the political left in the United States. The left hates this country. They tell us every single day. They tell us that our Constitution is broken. They tell us that our universities are racist. They tell us that our infrastructure is sexist and does not provide freedom. Every single day, the left reminds us how awful we are. So why on earth would they care so much? about the Russians undermining the United States. If they hate this country so much, the political left, that is, wouldn't they be cheering the Russians on? Wouldn't they be saying, yes, we need more disinformation. Let's bring this country down because it's awful and we need to abolish it and we need to restart. Wouldn't that make more sense? And then from the ashes of the United States, then they can make these Orwellian laws where they get where their political elites get to decide who's having a mental health crisis and can just lock them up. It just makes more sense. Nobody hates this country more than the left. Why are they so worried about protecting it? And that question is answered quite simply with this. They're not worried about protecting it. They're worried about control. They want to control what we say and don't say. They want to control what we see and don't see. They want to control who they get to throw in prison and who they don't. 
That's what they want. That's what it's all about. Point in case, let's look at Apple. Apple is a, a wonderful company. Not. Apple is a company, an American company, or at least it, it was an American company. Um, and they are pretty far left. They're pretty politically left. Not a secret. Tim Cook, very open about that. He's the CEO of Apple, by the way. Well, Apple makes 95% of their phones in China. The Chinese people are currently protesting against their government for COVID-19 lockdowns. Where this all started essentially was in China, people were not allowed to leave their, not even just their homes. If you lived in an apartment complex, they have, in China, they have these massive apartment buildings. We're talking like 50 stories tall and it houses like 10,000 people, like some ridiculous number like that. They're huge. China is on a whole different sphere. So when we talk about apartment complexes in China, they're not the same in the U.S. There's no such thing as, you know, personal space or beauty or overall atmosphere. No, they just shove them in these boxes and call it a day. Well, during COVID-19, you weren't not only were you not allowed to leave your apartment room, you could not leave these buildings. They actually would board the doors shut with everybody still inside. They were literally welding these metal doors shut. So they could not leave the lobby of the apartment building they were living in because they're that afraid of COVID over there. Well, a lot of people died because of it. And recently there was a fire that broke out in one of these apartments and like 200 people died because they couldn't leave the building. They were trapped inside the building. The government locked them in the building. So there's been a lot of protests in China. And these protesters, one of the ways that they communicate and they strategize is they do something called airdropping. Airdropping is a is a feature unique to Apple where you don't text message uh, an image or words to each other. You don't email them to each other. You airdrop them. And airdrop ha- leaves no record that you received it or had it. And essentially, it's like people can just send it to your phone, not through text message. It's a whole different thing. It's computer stuff. It's all complicated. But just know that it is a very common way for Chinese, those protesting the Chinese government, it's very common way for them to organize and share ideas. Well, China said, get rid of airdrop in China because because protesters are using it against the government. And Apple said, okay. And they just got they just got rid of airdrop, specifically in China. Now the Chinese protesters can no longer use airdrop, which was their primary way of communicating and organizing themselves in order to, to conduct these these peaceful protests, mind you. Apple's no longer an American company. It's now a Chinese company. The Chinese tell them what to do, period. But the point I'm trying to make with this is that they aren't worried about misinformation, disinformation. They're, they aren't worried about honesty and truth because the honesty is China is committing war crimes. That's the honesty and that's the truth. But Apple doesn't care. These far less companies don't care. That's not what they care about. They care about control. China allows them to have a sense of control, so they'll do whatever China says. Apple doesn't want these protesters to communicate with each other, so they control who they talk to and how they talk to. That's what they're about. End of story. Now, the last big thing that we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG were budget earmarks. Budget earmarks were a pretty big thing. And, and basically, what budget earmarks are, are budget funds set aside, essentially casually, to be used for whatever they want. So every year, you know, they make the big national budget, and there's a certain percentage of that budget that is pretty much set aside for, quote, other. Just various purposes, whatever they need, just the other side of it. Well, it was done away with back in 2011 for obvious reasons. Essentially, people were just using it as their own personal pocket, so they got rid of it. Well, unfortunately, it came back this year, and uh, we all know who brought it back. The Democrats. Now, the Democrats have been using it for a lot of ridiculous, nonsense things. 
Um, they spent a million dollars on Zora's house in Ohio, which is a, quote, co-working and community space for women and gender expansive people of color. Yeah. So they have this <laughs> women and gender expansive people of color club, and they just got a million dollars from the government just because. $3 million was spent on the American LGBTQAI Plus Museum in New York City. Nearly half a million dollars for the Equity Institute in Rhode Island to, quote, educate teachers with anti-racism virtual labs. Half a million dollars to make a virtual lab on anti-racism? Oh, my gosh. We had $1.2 million for the LGBTQIA Plus Pride Center and another $1.2 million for Dreamer Resource Centers, as well as Advocacy Centers. And uh, that was all at the San Diego Community College, so they just get $1.2 million for the lulls. We had $3.6 million for a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia. Michelle Obama gets her own trail, and she uh, also gets $3.6 million. And the list goes on and on. I mean, I mean, this really is just the top of it. We have $2 million for the Great Blacks in Wax Museum in Baltimore. We have $1.5 million to promote eating outdoors in Pasadena, California, which, by the way, is one of the sunniest and hottest places in the country. So, yeah, and this is all from budget earmarks. None of this was approved by Congress. None of this was approved by vote or by the people. This was all just earmarked funds. Oh, and by the way, here's my favorite one right here. $13 million for expanding an airport in Abbeville, Alabama, which is a rural city and has a population of under 2,500 people. $13 million for an airport in a city that has less than 2,500 people. And and the American people weren't, you know, they didn't get a say in this. They didn't get a vote in this. Nobody got, uh, you know, the Senate didn't have to approve it. It was just earmarked, just various funds, just for other and that's sort of the problem with this whole earmarking thing is essentially they can use they can do with it whatever they want, whatever they choose, whatever the cool hip thing to do in the moment is. And, yeah, that's why they did away with it back in 2011. And for, that's why they brought it back this year, because it's a basin of corruption. That's that's really all it is. And so hopefully when the Republicans really get in and start making some changes, hopefully that's going to be on the top of their list of getting getting rid of because that is not helping the American people in any way. Anyway, that's all we had this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. That is this week's episode of Plot Summary. If you ever miss anything, you can always tune into Plot Summary where I give a nice summary of everything we discussed this week. Next week, we have a series of parades. We have the Carthage Parade. We have the Joplin Christmas Parade. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on, so be sure to catch us on out there. And be sure to tune in to the Morning News Watch this week on our Facebook page, News Talk KZRG. Or you can always catch us on air at FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 1310. Oh, and by the way, also on your smart speaker, News Talk KZRG.